touchdown. What a return to the NFL. It's been for him. Three. Didn't get there. Looked like Jamal Adams may have led the charge from his safety position. Two. Welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Welcome into episode 10 of the Can't Wait podcast. Tim McMaster here along with Connor Hughes, our Jets beat writer here at the Athletic. And Connor, the Jets went to New England and they were exactly kind of what we expected to see, although... They did cover, so we'll give them that, but a bad showing by the Jets, and it's most teams, a week four bye isn't the greatest thing because it's almost too early in the season. Seems almost perfect for this Jets team right now, though. Yeah, they, they are so, so many things that are going wrong for, for, the, Jet, for, for the Jets right now. It's, it's almost remarkable. I mean, it's this team, and, and we wrote about this after their, their loss to the Browns, and, and it kind of was exemplified again against the Patriots, is that this team is very much broken. It's broken offensively. It's broken defensively. Uh, special teams is kind of keeping its head above water right now, considering that kicking situation with with Ficken seems to have solidified itself, at least for the time being. But there's so much wrong with the Jets that, that they really need a week to reevaluate and, and, and get back to the drawing board and fix a lot of what's going wrong because this is – this isn't like minor issues. This doesn't need tweaks. This almost needs a wholesale readjustment because there are, I mean, look, you have an offensive line, Tim, that, that quite literally cannot block. You know, if, and what's what's remarkable, and I'm sure we'll get to this a little bit later on because I'm actually working on a story on this for later in the week, but what what blows my mind about the offensive line is that it's not like these players stink or suck. Like, like Kelvin Beecham, uh, Kalecio Semele, uh, Khalil, Brian Winters, uh, Brandon Shell, the, these guys aren't, I mean, uh, elite level players, but they are not nearly as bad as what they're showing on the field right now. So, I mean, you got to figure out why it's going so bad with these veterans when it's not a talent issue. And, and hey, what was it? The the Patriots got five sacks on, on Sunday. Three of them came with a four-man rush, and one of them came with a three-man rush. I mean, that just simply should not be happening, especially with a veteran unit. The receivers, yeah, it seems like every time. Sorry, the the receivers are, are are not getting open. The the quarterback, obviously, you're down to your third string quarterback, so that's a problem. The defense let up three straight touchdowns, and now when you think that you maybe have solidified the quarterback situation a little bit by benching Tremaine Johnson, Daryl Roberts shows that there is no way, shape, or form should he ever be on the field. So uh, Leonard Williams is inv- invisible. Quinton Williams is still hurt. There's no one that can rush the passer. Obviously, with Jordan Jenkins out, which is kind of alarming considering Jordan Jenkins isn't a pass rusher. Uh, so it's it's a the Calvin Beecham said it after week two and, and it kind of holds true right now. The Jets are in a world of suck and, and they got to figure this thing out. Yeah, we got a lot to get into, obviously, with the game. We'll get specific with that. We got some press box food power ratings at the end of the show as well. Uh, we'll hear from Sam Darnold as well. He spoke on Monday. Uh, one more thing before we get to that, though, and that is the way they're going to treat this off week because they're not going to get on the practice field at all this week for the most part. It's going to be film, film, film for the first week before they get back to it and, and start getting ready for uh, week number five. Do you agree or disagree with that? I mean, you mentioned the offensive line being good players and needing to get things figured out. Maybe that is a thing to do in the in the uh, film room as opposed to on the practice field. But I would think some work on a field for a team struggling this much couldn't hurt either. Yeah, it probably wouldn't hurt. I mean, I think that, that I, I – 
I don't know if I wholesale agree with it, but I, I do understand what Adam Gase is doing. Uh, he wants, obviously, his guys to get a chance to heal. I mean, this Jets team is so banged up that he does want guys to step aside, get their bodies right, and kind of gear up for what they believe is going to be their second season when they come back from the bye against the Eagles. But that's what this week is going to be. I mean, when, when, when Gase turns on the film right now, what he sees um, is, is breakdowns in schematics. He sees breakdowns in fundamentals. He sees breakdowns uh, in so many of the basics that led to the Jets having so much success during the summer because this was a very successful offense, a very successful team during training camp. We were not lying when we were talking about how much optimism you should have about this team because how good things looked in the summer. This was a team that looked very good. They were creative. They were unique. Uh, they were up-tempo. They looked like a squad that was ready to take the NFL by storm in some extent or at minimum show they're ready to turn a corner. Somehow that has suddenly been lost from the moment the Jets walked off the field in the third preseason game and stepped on against the Bills in week one. Now suddenly they are they're dragging. They're, they're making mental mistakes that they did not make during the summer. So what Gase wants is to step aside and basically regroup. He wants to sit his players down. If they have any questions about the schemes, about the fundamentals, about all that stuff, he wants to sit them down and answer all of those questions, believing that once the mental aspects catches up, because he doesn't believe the Jets have a physical issue or a talent issue. He thinks that's there, especially there when the starters come back and the, scar the starters aren't so banged up like the Jets are right now when you're talking about missing Quinn and Williams and C.J. Mosley. And uh, obviously, um, Quincy and I was out for a while with the season with the neck injury, but Demarius Thomas will be back. Chris Hernan will come off the suspended list. The Jets believe that when that happens, they will suddenly not have a talent issue anymore. It's just mental, and that's what they have to do because, look, guys aren't entirely bought in yet to what Adam Gase is speaking and saying, and that's not alarming. That usually happens when a new coach comes in. It takes him a year or a couple months or something like that to get his team rolling again. You can see it's similar to what's happening with, with the Detroit Lions now compared to what it looked like with Matt Patricia in 2018 to what it looks like now in 2019. So it takes a little bit for you to instill your culture, instill your mindset, and, and, and let players know that everything that they are doing is being done for a reason. It's probably different than what they've done before, but it's being done differently now because if they do it this way, it will have success. The Jets are not doing it this way. So Gase's mentality for this bye week, and this is what I understand, is to get the entire team together and try to find that chemistry again that was pre uh, relevant in the summer and prevalent in the summer that is not relevant or prevalent now. He wants to find that, answer any questions guys have, and let them see the way that he sees and let them realize that if you do it this way, we will have success. And because you're not doing it this way, we are not having success. If Jets fans wanted to hear some positive thoughts and positive thinking, they got it from Monday from Sam Darnold. He spoke to the media um, a little bit, and he said all the right things. He's making his way back, had positive tests on Monday. The size of his spleen has subsided a little bit, so that's a good thing. Still on track or heading in the right direction to return in week five. Obviously, there's still a lot that has to happen between now and then. But let, let's hear Sam yesterday speaking to the media a little bit. We're going to go out there uh, and practice, and guys are going to refresh from this bye week. And, um, you know, we're going, to, we're going to go on a little run here. It's, it's going to be fun, uh, but it's going to take a lot of work. Uh, but I know a lot of the guys on the team are willing to put in that work. So he used the word fun, Connor, which is the last word you would think to or expect to hear uh, connected to this team right now. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if fun is necessarily the word that, that I would use because I think it's kind of nothing more than, than blissful ignorance to believe that, that Sam Darnold's going to come in 
and immediately fix all of the Jets' problems, but he's certainly a, a pretty big reason why this season could turn around. I mean, you know, the Jets played that second game against the, the Cleveland Browns largely with, I mean, entirely with their second team and third team quarterback, largely with their third team quarterback and Luke Falk. And while Luke Falk showed some good things in the preseason, and he's got a lively arm and he's got the right mental makeup, he is not ready at this point in his career to be an NFL quarterback. He might never be ready to be an NFL quarterback, but he's certainly not ready to be one right now and starting against a defense that, if I'm not mistaken, has yet to allow a touchdown in three games. So, you know, having having Darnold back in there will certainly help so much. It'll be an energy. It, it will obviously be a talent infusion because he's the most talented quarterback uh, on the Jets roster, obviously. He will help with the mental aspect of the game because he can help, you know, call out some adjustments at the line and adjust the, the offensive line and help in that regard. Uh, but also, I think the biggest thing that the Jets are going to gain, and, and one of the reasons why you should feel optimistic with Darnold back in there, is that he's able to hide and mask so many of the fundamental and, and mental breakdowns that some other players on offense tend to have. And and I, I really cautious uh, caution people to, to remove that week one game against the Bills where Darnold didn't look right. And he didn't look right because he wasn't right, Tim. I mean, the guy was dealing with the early symptoms of mono when he was on the field against the Bills. It just, it didn't, mono didn't just randomly pop up on Tuesday when he complained and really felt dreadful. He was dealing with those issues week one, lethargic. Um, uh, you could tell his energy was draining. He was trying to play a game, and he said, you know, his adrenaline got going, and that helped a little bit. But still, he was not the Sam Darnold that everyone knows Sam Darnold is against the Bills in week one. Probably won't, to some extent, be that way even when he comes back for two or three weeks. But he will be better, and he will be able to mask some of those issues in terms of his mobility, off-script playmaking. He'll be able to do things that when maybe Robbie Anderson doesn't run the right route or the blocking scheme isn't perfect, Sam can, because of his natural ability, hide some of those issues, which is what the Jets are getting back. But again, simply putting Sam Darnold back there at quarterback is not going to entirely solve the offensive line's problems. It's not going to suddenly allow the receivers to create separation. It's not going to get the defense to play a consistent four-quarter game and not just a half or a quarter here or there. So uh, it, it, it'll help, but to just assume Darnold's going to step in and go on a run, I, I don't think that's the case. Yeah, and they did release David Fales as well on Monday, which makes you think they're they're that step closer to Darnold returning or confidence that he'll be back as well. But yeah, there's more issues than that. So let's jump into that and look back on Sunday's game with the Patriots. Um, we'll start on offense, um, but whichever direction you point, it's kind of bad news. Uh, but this offense was was really dreadful. Uh, they were outgained 164 to 14 in the first quarter, just 105 total yards and 0 for 12 on third downs, which is amazing. And you look at the Jets' points this season now. Connor, I think you had a tweet actually about this. The offense has 12 points. The defense has 14 points. The special teams has six. I mean, this offense has just been dreadful. It's Yes, there's, there's weapons missing. Donald's missing. Um, how much do you think also though falls on just the, it's just boring to me. I guess that's the best word I can use is that, that they're not doing anything very exciting to get the ball moving. Yeah. And I think that look, I've been, I've been highly critical of, of, of that this, this season so far as lack of creativity from Adam Gase and, and, and the fact that you wanted to see more offensive innovation and you wanted to see why he was considered this offense, this innovative offensive mind and and that's understandable right I mean that that's why the guy was hired but I think that a little bit of that has been lost somewhat in translation of what I was trying to say I wasn't necessarily here's here's the thing when the Jets have the issues like they have on the offensive line right now and it's not a talent issue 
Um, it, it's it's another issue altogether that the Jets are trying to figure out why this veteran group continually is playing this poorly and having this many breakdowns and allowing this much uh, pressure. There's only so much the offense can do, right? There's only so much you can do with a third-string quarterback. There's only so much that you can do when you have that many issues plaguing the Jets up front. There, I mean, there you can't take deep shots down the field because your quarterback doesn't have three and a half seconds to throw. He is one and a half, two seconds. I mean, go look at the Jets' sacks. This isn't one guy disrupting them. When the quarterback goes down, there are four guys around the quarterback. It's pathetic. So it's, you're handcuffed so much in what you're able to do because of that offensive line. You're then handcuffed even more when you talk about the fact you're playing with your third-string quarterback. And it gets even worse when you're talking about this team being without two of their top three offensive playmakers in Quincy Anunwa, who is obviously not coming back with the neck injury. Then you're missing his backup as well with Demarius Thomas. But also Chris Herndon, the tight end, who people believe had the potential to establish himself. And he still could when he comes back from the suspended list. But as one of the NFL's best tight ends. It's very challenging to have offensive success with those caveats, right? Third string quarterback, uh, without your your number two and number four wide receivers, uh, without your starting tight end, and with those impl- with the implosion on the offensive line, it's very hard to have success. What I've kind of been disappointed about, though, is that even with the cards stacked against him, even with the odds against him, even when he did not have any any, even when he had all of these reasons to fail. I was kind of still hoping to see Adam Gase find some form of success. It's understandable why he did not, but if he really was this crazy offensive mind, and maybe this was just blissful ignorance on my part, thinking uh, that, that, that Gase would be able to mask more weaknesses than what he does or what he did, or, or as many as the Jets have, I should say, I was kind of still hoping to see a little bit more, that he was going to really be able to dig into that noggin of his and find a way to somehow have some success. Right to find some semblance of success in spite of the fact he had his third-string quarterback, in spite of the fact that he was without uh, uh, so many of his offensive playmakers, and in spite of the fact that the offensive line is dealing with so many issues, I was just hoping to see a little bit more. Is it a bad thing that that I didn't? No, because again, these odds were, were so difficult to overcome. However, you still kind of were hoping uh, with, with some optimism that you would be able to because of who Adam Gase is. Now look, if, if they figure out what this offensive line's problems are, which is something that, that Adam Gase has made it his priority, number one, two, and three, this bye week to figure out what the hell is wrong with the offensive line. If they're able to get some of those issues rectified, we're suddenly, forget playing well, as long as they're playing competent football. If you still get that, then Demarius Thomas comes back, then Chris Herndon comes back, and then Sandler comes back, give him a couple weeks, and then he's back to 100%, probably by week seven or eight. And this offense is still having issues, then you can ramp up the criticism on on Adam Gase and was this was this the right hire and all this stuff. But you know my criticism of Gase wasn't so much that this guy was a terrible hire. It's auto, automatically time to abandon ship. This is all his fault. To you know what you understand why the Jets are struggling so much. You just were kind of hoping to see a little bit more from someone that that they believe is a, a pretty innovative offensive mind. Something fans tend to do um, is leading up to the game, they're very realistic, right? Because you would think for the majority of Jets fans expecting we're going to go up to New England and the Jets are probably going to get destroyed. They're 21 and a half point underdogs that kick off. This game's going to be an ugly mess and it's going to be terrible. But the moment the ball goes up in the air on the kickoff, there's this, you're a fan. So you're thinking, okay, here we go. We're going <laughs> to we're gonna do whatever it takes to win this game. And once the game's underway, there's this somehow just belief that you can hang in there and maybe pull off an upset. 
even though all week long leading up to the game, you expected a blowout. This game ended up being exactly what I think we all thought it would be. Um, and that kind of, I think, backs up what you're just saying, is that there's a lot going on here, and we shouldn't have expected any more than this, but I guess we still hope for it. But it's it's not a good not a good time. They didn't play well. As far as that O-line goes, um, and they're obviously a mess, Folk is also that third-string quarterback, and it seemed like there was times when you know, he got sacked five times, he got hit ten times, that he should have gotten rid of the ball or could have gotten rid of it, could have thrown it away or found somebody quicker. How much of those hits and sacks do you blame on Folk versus the O-line? No, it's the offensive line. It's the offensive okay. line. The offensive line right now is is, an, is a borderline embarrassment. And, again, what's so frustrating and what is driving Adam Gase absolutely crazy right now, but it's also on the – it's it's driving him – it's driving him bonkers – but at the same time, it's also making him feel a little bit good is the fact that this is not a talent issue. And we talked about it a little bit kind of right. at, towards the open of the show. This is not a talent problem with the Jets offensive line. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this is a line that is as talented as the the Dallas Cowboys or even the New England Patriots when they're healthy. When you're talking about a, a group that is collectively one of the best in the NFL, that's not the case with the Jets. But they still have an average to slightly above average infusion of talent on the front. Kalecio Assembly is a very good player. Khalil, when he's on, a very good player. Brian Winters has the potential to be a very good player. Kelvin Beecham struggles, yes. Brandon Shell struggles, yes. But they're still, again, with that unit, there's a lot worse, worse unit in, units in the NFL when you're talking about strictly talent. So despite the fact that Jets don't necessarily have a talent issue, they are playing absolutely horrific. And again, I mean, it kind of, you kind of compare it to like last year or think about it last year when, when the New York Giants started Eric Flowers and Bobby Hart at left and right tackle and they had issues at offensive guard as well. When the Giants were trying to figure figure out their offensive line problems last year, they were trying to mask issues that were centered around they didn't have the talent. There's only so good these guys can play. That's not the problem that the Jets see right now. And that's why Adam Gase is kind of going crazy because he sees his offensive line. He knows there's talent up there, but they are playing like collectively one of the worst NFL offensive lines in the NFL when that's not a talent problem. So he's gone back to the drawing board and he's wiping the slate clean. He's saying, okay, let's flip on the film. Let's see what's going wrong. And we need to figure out how to fix it. And we need to figure, fix it now because he knows that if he doesn't get this offensive line solidified, this offense has no hope anywhere else. I mean, it's going to be a dreadful season if they can't figure out a way to fix this offensive line. And he's tried already some different things. I know I brought up in the press conference and I've asked him a handful of times about simplifying the offensive line. It can't get any more simple than what it is right now. I mean, the Jets pretty much went in there with four total blocking schemes to try to beat the Patriots. I mean, that was nauseatingly basic and the Patriots were still able to find so much success. So I think right now, what this is right now is, is maybe the offensive line doesn't have a complete understanding of what's going on. I don't think the offensive line is completely bought in entirely to what uh, this group is teaching and preaching. And because of this, you're seeing all of these breakdowns. And, and that's one of the reasons why Gase has decided, you know what? No practice this week. Let's get to the film room. Let's get to meetings. And let's fix the problems that we have. Because we don't have a talent problem right now. We have a mental problem. And if we can fix the mental, everything else will take care of itself. And, and it kind of it all starts up front with the offensive line. You know, That's kind of the epitome of the issues the Jets are having right now. Yeah, there was a couple times when the Patriots just ran basically simple stunts and linemen were free to the quarterback and uh, certainly it's more communication at that point than it is the talent now the receiving core may be a different story you mentioned the o-line has the talent 
I'm not sure the receiving core has the talent. Robbie Anderson, three catches, 11 yards. Jamison Crowder, two for 25. Braxton Berrios, two for 29. Obviously, they miss the injured guys, um, but but these guys aren't getting open. And you've used the numbers as far as separation, Connor. They're not getting average separation. Yeah, and, and one of the reasons, I, look, the Jets rolled the dice on against the Patriots. That That's what Adam Gase did, is basically when he – Put together this game plan. He didn't believe that that there was enough trust there in Josh Bellamy to be a starting receiver. He struggled uh, against the Cleveland Browns with a couple of drops. Didn't believe that he could trust him uh, against the New England Patriots. So he decided, you know what? Let's get Braxton Berrios in there. Let's do this. Let's take Jamison Crowder and let's put him at outside receiver. And then let's put, take Braxton Berrios and let's put him in at the slot. And then those will be our three because that you know that's something we believe will will, will help us out a little bit more. Well, by doing that, what, what Gase didn't anticipate was that. Jamison was going to struggle uh, as much as he did as an outside weapon. So basically the Jets took themselves from being weak at one position outside receiver to now being weak at two positions where it was in the slot because Crowder is not in the slot and outside because that's where Crowder now is. So Barrios was not as good of a slot receiver as Crowder. So bam, you're weaker there. And then obviously Jamison Crowder is not an outside receiver. So bam, you're weaker there without Quincy and Unwin Demarius Thomas. So, now, I think the Jets now are going to go back right away to, to what they were doing before. You're going to see Crowder in the slot, Robbie outside. And then the question will be, what happens at other outside receiver? Is Demarius Thomas going to be healthy enough to return? He's dealing with a hamstring and knee issue. And the fact that he tweaked that hamstring when he tried to play against the Browns usually isn't a good sign because that means that it's going to take several weeks before he returns. Does it mean putting uh, jo- uh, Josh Bellamy back out there? Does it mean getting this kid the Jets just signed off the Texans practice squad, Vincent Smith, going and getting him out there? He's someone who uh, is kind of more of a straight-line player. And he's, he's a, I think he played college ball D2, so he still needs to learn how to run routes and set things up like that. But uh, it might be about getting him in there, even though he could just go deep, just using him in that regard and then trying to expand Robbie's route tree a little bit. But uh, the receivers are dealing with issues. You know, they, they Again, this whole roster, because of Mike McCagnin's ineptitude, had an alarming lack of depth, and you're starting to see that exemplified here, is that when guys are going down and the injury bug is taking a bite out of Adam Gase's roster like I've never seen, they don't really have guys that can step up and, and fill the void, and receiver was one of the examples there. But you know, I think of those receivers, the one guy that the Jets definitely need more from is Robbie Anderson. And I know that you can only do so much when your quarterback's Luke Falk, and I know all that stuff, but... Robbie needs to do more. I mean, this is his contract year. This was a year that he was supposed to step up and, and establish himself as a number one receiver or at minimum a very good number two receiver, and he just hasn't done it this year. I mean, last year, last week against the Browns, uh, I know his stats look good with the four catches for 80 yards, but he left so many plays out there where he really didn't make a difference. It was mostly garbage time numbers that he compiled there. Obviously, he pulled up lame on his on the long pass against the Bills in the opener that could have been the game winner. And then here, you know, against the Patriots, he calls out Stephon Gilmore for, for holding every play. And Robbie Anderson finishes the game with three catches for 11 yards, longest seven on five targets. And, and Gilmore was talking a little trash after the game about it. So uh, the, the, the Jets can – Adam Gates going to do so much with the receivers that he has – uh, the guys definitely need to step up. I think moving Crowder, Crowder's not a problem. When you put Crowder in the slot, Crowder is a, a fine player, an above average player. He's fine when you put him in the slot. The Jets just can't work him outside. But they definitely need more from Robbie Anderson, and they need to to find an option opposite him outside because obviously, like I said, Crowder can't fill that void. Luke Falk's final numbers were 12 of 22, 98 yards, uh, no touchdowns. He threw the pick. Um, didn't have a lot of time to throw. We talked about that. The receivers weren't getting open. So there's a lot of things working against a third-string quarterback making his first career start. 
if you take all that into account, um, if you had to give Luke Falk a grade for his game against the Patriots on Sunday, um, taking all that into account, what would you give him? Uh, that's a tough one, man, because, I mean, you, you read off the numbers. I mean, 54 completion percentage, 12 of 22. Yeah. Uh, the interception was, was terrible, and, and, I mean, he really did just kind of chuck it up. Uh, it's tough. I mean, look, I, I'd probably revert back to what Adam Gay said, is, is that, you know, it's kind of it's difficult when you have a quarterback that's doing a lot of things right and, and you have a, a, the guys around him aren't necessarily executing. You know, basically he said that, that Luke Falk knows how to do it and the players around him do not, and they're making mental mistakes. And that kind of goes back to what we were talking about, what you're going to get when you put Sam Darnold back in the lineup, is that Sam has the ability that when these other players aren't doing things right and these other players are kind of making their mental mistakes, Sam Darnold can, can rectify those problems himself and he can find a way to still have the play find success in spite of other people's failures. Luke Falk doesn't necessarily have that ability. So uh, I don't know how much of that was was the other players. I'm sure some of it. I'm sure a good portion of it was playing against the New England Patriots. I personally would have rather have seen Luke Falk play against a team like the Redskins or even the Eagles next week or a team that's maybe a little bit uh, closer to above average and not elite. You know, I'd like to kind of see how we play against them. But I would give it a, a D, I think, is, is fair. I don't think I would give him a failing grade for those other problems that you saw. But Again, also, it was the kid's first start against Bill Belichick and the Patriots. So uh, it's really tough to grade that one, but I would probably say a D. All right, and finally on the offense, Le'Veon Bell seems like a, almost deserves a uh, incomplete just because, yeah, he had 18 carries, 35 yards, really didn't do much. But it was pretty clear the Patriots' game plan was just to stop him, and they did that. And if you have a complete offense, you then shift and say, okay, if they're taking away Bell, that's going to open other things up. But the Jets are – not at a point right now where they can do that. So Bell being completely shut down just eliminated this offense. Um, was there anything he could have done more than what he did? I mean, he had four catches as well. No, this was just no. This was just Tom, this was a typical Tom uh, Tom, Tom Brady. This is a typical Bill, Bill Belichick defensive game plan where he says, "Okay, who's your best offensive player? I'm taking him away. It's our number one goal to shut him down. You're gonna have to beat us with someone else." And when you take into consideration the Jets diff, again issues on the offensive line, it made eliminating Le'Veon Bell a lot easier because as soon as he was getting the carry, I, I still got to go look at the number. I know he went into the game. Uh, he went into that game against the Patriots with 91% of his rushing yards coming after contact. It wouldn't surprise me if that number is now up to 93 or 94%. I mean, that, that's, that, that's just, again, because of the problems with the offensive line. So that was pretty easy to take him away. And then again, you know, it, that's just, that's just Bill Belichick. He's going to take you, your number one guy away and you got to figure out a way to beat him. Uh, with somebody else, and the Jets obviously weren't able to do it, and and which is a shame. So it's I wouldn't say it's so much Bell's fault. Very similar to to, to what you're talking about Adam Gase and and why uh, he hasn't been able to find some of the success that he has been able to find. Uh, it's because of the tr- struggles with the offensive line. I think similar to that is 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 Bell. Is that there's only so much he can do with that yard per carry average. When as soon as he gets the ball, he's got two three defenders in his face, and he's trying to make all those guys miss. And give Bell credit. The the guy has been. Uh, the the model citizen in the locker room. He's he's. I know a lot of the headlines out there were that he called out the coaching staff. He didn't call out the coaching staff. That's a that's a really really stretch of the imagination to say that he was calling out Adam Gase's play calling. That didn't happen. Um, but I think that when you look at uh, Bell and 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 some of the problems that he had and and the issues, I do think that there's a, there's a combustibility factor to monitor going forward. Because this is a guy, again, who's used to it being done a certain way. I know he's happy. I know he's been a model citizen. But I could see the frustration start to to brew within him when if these losses continue to pile up and the offensive line continues to struggle and he 
doesn't it, it not that he doesn't get his touches but that's just the team it's, itself doesn't have success because bell has only known success with the steelers that i think you could have a, a chance for him to explode a little bit just out of frustration so that's something to watch going forward yeah definitely i was watching um just trying to keep an eye on him during the game in the second half to see kind of his body language and stuff like that and you're right it was it was good there was no there was no plays where you know the quarterback gets sacked and you can see him kind of running away in frustration he, he stayed positive on the field and all the body stuff all the body language was good uh with bell so yeah we'll definitely keep an eye on that on the defense there was a few flashes they scored points which is uh i guess a step up from the offense um, with the big interception from jamal adams but there was also similar problems that we've seen throughout the year connor so far especially early i saw just some blown coverages Izzo had the wide open 41 yard gain on the first drive uh, the second touchdown to Dorsett was a play action where everybody bit and he was pretty much uncovered across the middle. I mean, there's just these kind of mental errors and blown coverages that we've seen. It seemed like they tightened it up a little bit later in the game, but they were still there big time in the first half. Yeah, part, part of that tightening up, I think, had to do with the Patriots taking an overly cautious game plan. I mean, it seemed like they really took their foot off the gas when Edelman went down. Uh, so when he got hurt, the Patriots were like, you know what, look, we're up 30 points right now. We really don't want to start risking guys getting injured. And it seemed like they, it seemed like they, they took their foot off the gas and were kind of focused on, okay, let's just finish this game out, get out of here healthy compared to let's run up the score and make this 60 to nothing. Like kind of a lot of people thought. And in fact, I think if Edelman didn't go down, the Patriots probably would have continued to do that. Put your foot down, really start rolling. But you, you saw problems with the, the, the secondary, and I think that this is the going to be a back and forth that the Jets deal with throughout the year because you knew the cornerbacks were bad. You knew that Tremaine Johnson and Dale Robertson were not starting caliber NFL corners, and the Jets tried to rectify that situation after week one by benching Tremaine Johnson and putting in Nate Harrison, and you know Tremaine pretty much was not going to play against the Bills until Harrison went down, but then uh, he actually did see some action, eight snaps against the Patriots, uh, largely because... Uh, when the Patriots went four wide, the Jets tried to train Johnson out there as their fourth corner. But I, I think what you saw a, a little bit there against New England is that Tremaine Johnson, I don't think, is is the Jets' worst corner. I think that's Darrell Roberts or, or Daryl Roberts. I don't think that, that Darrell Roberts just isn't a very good football player. He's pretty bad. I mean, he, he he lacks field awareness. He commits penalties. He's he's not a starting player, which is what everyone knew before the, the season started. Everyone said, okay, look, that guy's a competent backup, a pretty good spot duty starter a good special teamer, but he's not a starting corner. And Mike McCagney was like, oh, no, we really like him. And, you know, guess what? It turns out that the world knew more than the Jets again. So it's kind of what they're stuck with now having Daryl Roberts out there. But I, I wonder if, if the Jets' best secondary and the Jets' best cornerback position, and, again, this story is going to run later today. I actually wrote this is a part of the section on additional thoughts on the Jets. But I, I wonder if the Jets actually have a better defense with Tremaine Johnson on the field and Daryl Roberts off. And and I think that when people analyze Tremaine Johnson, and it's difficult to do this because of what the Jets are paying him, but when you remove the $72.5 million uh, uh, price tag that's slapped on Tremaine Johnson, if you completely remove that, he's a pretty average player. He's not a shutdown corner in any way, shape, or form. Uh, he's not an elite-level corner. He's not someone that can be put on an island. But I think even at his current state, He's an average football player. He's someone who last year gave up just two, 10 games. In 10 games last year, gave up two touchdowns. He's someone last year who uh, allowed a quarterback rating of just a little over 75, according to Pro Football Focus. He's a guy last year had four interceptions. 
He is an average player who, when he is on and playing his really good football, he's an above, he's a slightly above average player. He's someone who's going to make plays, but he's someone who, obviously, like I said, he can't shut guys down, doesn't have very good speed, so we can't stick with faster receivers down the line. So again, don't look at him as Tremaine Johnson, $72.5 million corner. That contract was a terrible contract handed out by Todd Bowles. It was a terrible decision by, or not Todd Bowles, Mike McCagnan, but it was a terrible decision by Todd Bowles to sign off on that, believing that Tremaine Johnson would be a perfect fit for his defense. So just remove that contract and look at him as just what he is and realize, look, he's an average football player. He's going to give up catches. He's going to make a couple plays during the year. He's an average player. If he's your number two or number three corner on a team, you're probably fine with that. He's just not your number one lockdown corner. He's average. Average right now is better than what Daryl Roberts is. He's a better player than Daryl Roberts because Daryl Ro- Roberts is not average. Daryl Roberts is terrible. So what you kind of want to think about doing here is take Daryl Roberts off the field, put Tremaine Johnson on one side, Nate Harrison on the other, Brian Poole in the slot, and then see if that doesn't work. You're going to have to experiment right now because it's not getting better. Jalen Ramsey is not going to be a trade piece. The Jets aren't going to find someone on the free agent market that's suddenly going to be better than what they have. They're going to have to deal with what they have right now and try to fix the situation in the offseason in the in the draft and free agency. But the, the, the ideology of just take Tremaine Johnson off the field, he sucks. Look, Tremaine Johnson played terrible in that opener. Tremaine Johnson isn't a great player. I think he's average. And again, average for Tremaine Johnson right now is better than what Daryl Roberts. So maybe try that out. Put put ter, Take Daryl Roberts off the field and put Tremaine Johnson on it. Because when you look at that touchdown that Julian Edelman scored against uh, against Roberts, when you look at the, I believe it was Rex Burhead, Burkhead, who had the touchdown run where he just basically, I mean, I don't even know what, I, I honestly have no idea what Daryl Roberts was trying to do there. He was the last line of defense, and I think he threw out a finger and was like, oh, I'm surprised he didn't tackle him. Wow, <laughs> shocker. Um, I, I think that that, you can't have that on, on defense. And removing him and putting someone else on, I think, just makes so much more sense. So they didn't cover anybody, and they didn't get to the quarterback either. One sack in the game, and it wasn't Brady. It was actually when the backup was in for that one series. They only had four quarterback hits as well. I mean, maybe things get better as far as pressure and such when Mosley comes back and they're a little healthier. Um, This Patriots offensive line, though, was not at full strength. Obviously, they're without their center all year. They're without their left tackle and it really didn't matter. The Jets, really no pressure. Now, Brady's tough to get pressure on. He gets ball, the, rid of the ball so quickly, um, but they got to do better than they did on Sunday. I don't care, man. He was getting rid of the ball quickly against the, the Rams, too, and, and the Rams seemed to find success. Aaron Donald yep. played like a pretty good defensive player, and he was able to find success despite you know them saying, hey, shut him down. I mean, you can still pressure guys when they get the ball, when they get rid of the ball so quickly. And, and look, the Patriots' offense – looked pedestrian in that Super Bowl. They still won, but they looked pedestrian. It wasn't your typical Tom Brady approach. The Jets need more from Leonard Williams. The Jets need more from Henry Anderson. Fact. I mean, Leonard Williams has been invisible this season. Invisible again. And I think, you know, look, I I think that, that looking at him, it's time to start looking at him in a similar light that I was just suggesting to look at uh, Tremaine Johnson, where I said, look, Tremaine Johnson is an average football player ignore his price tag. It was a mistake to give him that money, but look at him as an average football player. Can he help your team? Yeah, I think he can help your team more than Daryl Roberts. It's time to look at Leonard Williams the same way. Leonard Williams is a remarkably average football player. He is not 
Aaron Donald. He is not J.J. Watt. He is not a player that was worthy of being selected sixth overall like the Jets did in 2015. He does not make that kind of impact on a game. Does he get pressures on the quarterback? Yes. Does he play the run reasonably well? Yes. You know what? That sounds like you're describing an average football player, and that's what Leonard Williams is. So it's time to stop putting these, oh, when's Leonard Williams going to break out? When's Leonard Williams going to do this? When is Leonard Williams' six-sack game? Or when's he going to finally get to the quarterback? When's it going to come? Stop thinking about it because, look, after five years, it's obvious it's not going to come, period. It's not going to come because that's not the kind of player that he is. He's not someone that is going to make that kind of an impact on a Sunday. He is not someone who is going to take over the game and will his team to a victory because that's what the Jets needed from him this week. They needed Leonard Williams to be this dominant defensive force, to push the pocket, to immediately be in Tom Brady's face, and to disrupt him like no other to hope this defense could have some success. Leonard Williams didn't do that because Leonard Williams is not capable of doing that. So I I think it is really time to just back up off the Leonard Williams expectations, back up off that hype train, look at him for what he is, realize he is what he is. The Jets are not going to give him $20 million when this season's over. The Jets are not going to give him $15 million when this season's over. Odds are, unless Leonard Williams somehow immediately elevates his play and and realizes what he's playing for in terms of his contract and just play lights out the final eight games and can trick uh, Joe Douglas into giving him a big money contract, it's not going to happen. So, uh, I, I think that, that, that this this is what it is. I think Leonard Williams disappointed me, but the Jets don't have a legitimate pass rusher on this field. They just don't have it, and I don't know where they're going to get it from. So uh, there are problems everywhere. There are problems in the secondary, and, but the problems up front, I think, are, are even more uh, disheartening when, when you realize that Leonard Williams hasn't played like you wanted him to or like you believed he would. But in the same breath, it's like I was just talking about with Trimmy Johnson. You need to realize that, that Leonard Williams is what he is. He's not that kind of a player. He's never been that kind of a player, absent a few games you saw in the 2016 season, his sophomore year. He hasn't been that kind of player, and, and there's no reason to believe now uh, in his fifth year he's going to become that kind of a guy. It's just I just don't see it happening. So the Jets, a complete disappointment on the field in Foxborough. However, up in the press box, not a disappointment, the food for Connor Hughes and company. It's time for the press box food power rankings, and Gillette Stadium brought it. Breakfast, and then a little more after that, right, Connor? They're moving up in your rankings, and they were already ranked highly. Yeah, they were ranked. I had, I think I had them ranked five behind Lincoln Financial Field, and then after this one, I brought them up to four. Um, they, they'll probably stay, honestly, they, they could have been number. I don't think they'll ever be number one. Maybe, maybe they could have been number one if they actually had lobster rolls. So here's the thing that I want to stress to people at Gillette Stadium, because I've been told this by Brian Costello, who, who writes for the New York Post all the time, because he covers a lot of playoff games in Foxborough once the Jets are eliminated. During primetime games, like eight o'clock games, the season opener, stuff like that, and the playoffs, the Patriots put out lobster rolls at halftime. Like they have lobster rolls at halftime in addition to everything else that they have. So my ranking of Gillette Stadium at number four, if I was there for these lobster rolls, odds are they would be up to two, potentially up to number one. I haven't been there to experience the lobster roll, so I can't go off of what everyone else tells me about them. I need to personally taste the lobster roll. So until that happens, I can't really justify doing that or putting that kind of a ranking out there for the, oh, well, you know what? They have lobster rolls too, even though they haven't had it, so they're going to be number two. No, so they're sitting there at number four next year. Uh, if I get if, if the Jets are in a primetime game against them and I have lobster roll, or maybe this year if I cover a playoff game there, uh, go up to help out the Patriot guys once the Jets are eliminated and I try one, that can adjust the ranking some. But for right now, they're at number four, and that's a very 
very good ranking because the food at half or the food there on Sunday was very, very good. They, you know, I went up there for the first, uh, the initial course, you know, when you first get there, one o'clock game, and usually one o'clock spreads aren't as good as four o'clock. And then obviously primetime games, you got a great spread half four o'clock, usually a little bit better because they go dinner, more dinner, but still this breakfast quote unquote spread from the Patriots was good. Aside from the terrible scrambled eggs, I'll put that aside. They just, the scrambled eggs were just bad. They were watery and kind of gooey. They were not very good scrambled eggs. Breakfast potatoes were great. The cucumber salad was great. You can find these pictures, by the way, on my Instagram and Twitter at Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. So you can actually see the food that we're talking about. Uh, The steak tips that they had, really good. Like I really did enjoy the steak tips. I personally like my steak a little more rare. These were well done. I understand when you're serving for everyone and it's it's kind of a um, uh, buffet style you can't, you know, kind of cook to order the steak, but still, despite the fact that they were well done, they were still tender. Like I said, breakfast potatoes were good. Uh, they had a nice spread of muffins, like all different kinds of muffins and bagels. I'm watching my my carb take a little bit, so I didn't have the muffins. Did have half of the, uh, I did have half of a bagel to kind of fight off a headache, but uh, I did not touch the muffins. But I, I trust me, they looked incredible, and I saw other people that did. I mean, they had like chocolate chip, red velvet. Uh, they had one that was stuffed with cream that looked delicious with um, uh, granulated sugar on top. So that looked good. I just personally didn't touch that stuff. That was the ha- that was the breakfast. Um, that was what you were looking at with uh, with the initial spread. Thought that was very good. I personally have had a lot of bad experiences with clams and oysters. Uh, you know how like when you get you know how when you get like sick off a of food, Tim, and then you can't eat that food for a while or oh, for yeah. like ever. That's kind of what happened to me with clams. So I didn't touch it. However, the Gillette Stadium provides clam chowder every every game that's not like the lobster rolls the clam chowder is out there every game and daryl slater who covers the the jets in the nfl for um the nj advanced media along with matt stipulkowski does the same for nj advanced media and andy vasquez who covers them for the record those guys swore by this clam chowder they said it's delicious i put that picture up online as well looked very good it's just not my personal taste i can't go with clams just because i've had bad experiences with it before but trust me if you want to trust them they said it was delicious the real star, though, was at halftime. Great hoagie, great hoagie spread had like your wraps, Italian hoagies, that kind of stuff looked great. Not the star, though. The star was apple crisp with marbled ice cream on top. Warm apple crisp, the, the, the enough where when you put the ice cream down, it just started to melt. Not enough to totally become mush, but just a little bit where it gets like the the melty ice cream. Incredible. So a, a really, really good showing from the Patriots. When you talk, aside from the scrambled eggs. When you talk about, uh, they also had chicken, but I didn't get the chicken, uh, like a marinated chicken on the bone. So when you talk about the marinated chicken on the bone, cucumber salad, steak tips, breakfast potatoes, bacon, uh, the muffin spread, the the bagel spread, which wasn't plain bagels. They had sesame seed bagels, poppy seed, egg bagels, uh, everything bagels to to parlay into halftime where you've got the clam chowder rolling, you got the hoagie spread, you got a cookie dish, cookie tray out there, and then obviously the winner of the apple crisp with the ice cream on top. Uh, really, 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 really good showing from the, uh, the the Gillette Stadium there to check in at number four in the power rankings. And like I said, if they were number, if this was a, a primetime game and I got a chance to, to try that lobster roll, the lobster roll probably would have put them into number two, potentially threat, threatening Raymond James Stadium at number one for the uh, Press Box Food Power Ranking uh, number one title. I know everyone always asks me about what like Raymond James Stadium, I, I don't think we've talked about it on here what Raymond James stadium had to be the, the number one, uh, they, they were just 
they had such an abundance of food, and I hope to get back there at some point to try it again because they had such an abundance of food that was so good. Everything they had was good, but the real star there was Banana Foster's at halftime. Uh, really just put that one over the over the over the top, and then Mercedes-Benz Stadium at number two. They were the one that kind of took uh, took the cake with a Caravel Carvel ice cream machine, soft serve ice cream machine. That was great. Levi Stadium was awesome, and they handed out like craft beer at the end of the game, so that was awesome. So, uh, if you real quick, we'll just run down the top five: uh, the press box food power ranking. Raymond James Stadium one, Mercedes Benz Stadium with the Falcons two, Levi Stadium 49ers three, Gillette Stadium number four with the Patriots, and number five is Lincoln Financial Field, where I'll be uh, in two weeks when the Jets come off the bye. Yeah, so pressure's on Lincoln Financial Stadium. You got to move heard, back Tim, up. I've heard it stinks. Like I've heard from I'm I'm very Uh-oh. close to Elliot Shore Parks who covers the Eagles for uh WIP and I'm actually from South Jersey so a lot of my, a lot of my friends who I met in this field actually cover the Eagles. Dave Zangaro is another one. Uh, I've heard from them that that the link has taken a legitimate step back and it is not the same as it used to be. So this ranking that's up here right now is basically from the 2015-2016 season like a financial field. In 2018 I heard is when it started taking the big big step back so i need i'm very curious very very curious to see if this is still still good i don't i don't know i i'm going in cautiously optimistic but i've heard enough from other people that it is not what it used to be now granted i'm eat, i eat i eat at metlife stadium for every home game and that place stinks so i'm kind of <laughs> I'm, I'm here i'm here right now i'm like all right it can't be that bad i think you guys are just spoiled but if it is as bad as they say we could potentially see Lincoln Financial Field dropping down into 8, 9, 10 area from number five with this press box food power rankings, which would be a legitimate and steep fall. Never want to see it. You've been warned, Philadelphia. You've been warned. I remember <laughs> uh, I covered some playoff games uh, for the Eagles um, years ago, and they would bring out uh, cheesesteaks at halftime on top of Oof. the good spread before the game. They would then come with cheesesteaks at halftime. So it was pretty good. The competition's real up in New England. Uh, during the World Series, both in 2013 and 2018, um, they used to do lobster and used to. 2018 was last fall. Uh, they did lobster tails along with pasta before the game. And then after the game, they would have the lobster roll along with the chowder. Uh, and then, yeah, it was it was real. So, you know, I feel like that's a thing. If one team is doing it, the other ones have to kind of keep the the level high because you have those same a lot of the same media covering all those different sports, and they start to talk and you start to hear rumors. So keep it going, yeah. teams. As long uh, as it's you know. not uh, as long as it's not the Jaguars. The Jaguars might, and honestly, I have them right now at 18th of 20, and I think that's probably a little high. I mean, I I, I want uh, we went there <laughs> last year, man, and I'll tell you what they. Not only do they limit what food you can get, like you can't go up and get more fruit and you can't go up and get like more salad because like on your press pass, it has a little tag that they rip off when you go up to get food. And I'm not sitting there saying like, oh my God, I want so much. It's just kind of like, you know, sometimes you want another little bit of fruit and you're like, hey, can I have some more? And they're like, no, you already came up once. That's a little ridiculous. But the food is so disgusting. Like they had, I, 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 don't, I, I know uh, um, us, uh, you and I and, and Marissa talked about this. Uh, I believe we talked about this. We went up there. And like they, they were serving chicken parm and and uh, eggplant parm. I went up there with a couple of my other friends on the beat, and I looked at the food, and I was like, "Dude, what's what?" Like you had no idea what was chicken, you had no <laughs> idea what was eggplant, and it both looked like vomit. So it was like, "Oh my god, I have no idea." So 
that's still like it, it was there was enough side stuff where like the the they had a, an okay dessert tray and they had a bagel and they had like other stuff that I had it ahead of FedEx Field which is literally like you pack your lunch when you when you go to FedEx Field and the Redskins and then the Superdome but I've heard I've heard again some more rumors that that's actually still pretty bad like really really bad where it might drop down to to 20 yeah so I'm I'm a little I'm a little nervous going to to Jacksonville in a couple weeks all right. Well, speaking of power rankings, the NFL Power Rankings podcast is a week-by-week look at who's up and who's down in the NFL with hosts Lindsey Jones and Amy Parlapiano. So make sure you check that one out as well as we bring this podcast to a close. We tried to not get too negative, but it's pretty hard at this point. Um, we want to get some questions in, though, since we have the off week coming up. Get some cues for Hughes. That's hashtag QS4Hughes on Twitter, or just ask Connor questions on Twitter. Uh, But we like the hashtag, so use it if you can. And we'll get to some of those on Friday and maybe some more on Monday with the off week. We will see. But uh, bye week time, so watch some film. Connor's going to be watching some film as well. Follow him on Twitter, Connor underscore J underscore Hughes. And that'll do it for episode 10 of the Can't Wait Podcast. You're going to make me watch this film, Tim? That's what you're going to make me do? You can't let me enjoy the bye week, Tim? You're going to make me watch film? Are you kidding me, man? I was trying Get to, to work. by and be like, oh, we're not watching film this week. Nope. Yeah, now you're going to make me watch that slop for another three hours. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. <laughs> Get to work, and we'll talk to you guys later in the week.